A two-minute stretch of the first half is what cost the Seahawks any chance of winning that game against the San Francisco 49ers. That wasn't the reason they lost, though. Nope. This was a game that showed how far Seattle has to go until it's actually going to be a heavyweight. It's Danny O'Neill. This is a dang apostrophe. I know when you ask me about these injuries, and, and, and I give you my thoughts, if you really want to figure it out, I think Danny O'Neill has the best uh, translations for me. Here. Yeah. Not going to be Parson Pete today. That Thursday night loss to the San Francisco 49ers was one of those games that speaks a lot about exactly how far these Seattle Seahawks have to go. I am Danny O'Neill. This is the dang apostrophe. Why is it called the dang apostrophe? Well, because like a certain punctuation mark in my last name, I keep on hanging around, hanging around. Kids got alligator blood. Can't get rid of him. I'm not going anywhere. Nope, not yet. And well, if you'd like to stick around and join me, please do so. This is a podcast. It's attached to a newsletter. I have a brief word for my sponsor here. Are you tired of the same old emails? Advertisements for blue pills, prescription? Oh, wait, maybe that's just me. Spice up your email with regular updates from the dang apostrophe by Danny O'Neill. Former newspaper reporter in the Seattle Times, radio host at 710, a Seattle sports station, and currently living off the dole in New York City. No, I'm not living off the dole. Maybe my wife's largesse, perhaps, it is a freelance career that I'm trying to get off the ground and a newsletter that includes updates on the Seattle Seahawks and occasionally, or more than occasionally, writing about my feelings. But today we're going to talk about the Seattle Seahawks who lost by eight points to the San Francisco 49ers in a game where if you squinted real hard, if you squinted real hard, you could talk yourself into the idea that Seattle was contending. They were right there, just a couple of different breaks a couple of different things go differently. It would have been entirely different than what it was. Like, say, say, maybe, maybe this didn't happen. Second and six. Homer loses it. Picked up on a hop. And on his way, Traverius Ward out of bounds at the five-yard line. It was brutal. Hit by Jimmy Ward. Then Dre Greenlaw knocks the ball loose. They crunched him. Little pass. It was second and six with about a minute to go. The Seahawks were poised to move into scoring position, and all of a sudden the 49ers had the ball at the five yard line, setting up their second touchdown. But that was only after something equally disappointing had occurred. Mercedes Benz halftime show coming your way. Chris and the guys talking about how Shanahan's making life easy for Purdy, the Niners swarming defense, and homecoming for our man Richard Sherman. Part of the Legion of Boom. Meanwhile, that's almost intercepted right into the hands of Quandre Diggs. Could not hold on. And it's fourth and 11. That even understates how directly it was to Diggs. It was a great play by Diggs right up until the ball got there. He kind of just lurked back. Jennings is the one, number 15. He's running a vertical route up the middle. Kobe Bryant's kind of underneath him. Brock Purdy, the third-string rookie quarterback, the last guy selected into the draft, never even sees the safety there and decides, oh, oh, I got an opening and flings it down there. And Quandre Diggs is right in position. He should have picked it off at the 45 and been going the other way. 
It was the first play inside of the two-minute warning. If that happens, maybe if he makes that interception, maybe the game changes instead. Here's a rare mistake that we've seen from Purdy. He telegraphs his pretty good. Here's the safety, Diggs, who's a ball hawk. You go back and look at the 12 interceptions since 2020. Just reads the eyes, and Purdy brings him over on that vertical route down the middle to Jennings. Just doesn't come up with the interception. So Purdy catches a break, but Diggs a good job of baiting him and reading the eyes. You can tell the story of this game and say, hey, that's the swing right there. Seattle should have had a turnover that set them up in scoring position. They're down only 7-3 at that point. Even if Diggs doesn't return that ball much past midfield, you've got the ball at the 50 with two minutes to go. You figure that you're, you're feeling good about where Seattle's positioned, all things being equal. Instead, he drops the ball, 4th and 11, the 49ers punt. Seattle gets the ball, and they're moving it again. They're approaching midfield. They've got 2nd and six. I think they're at the 39, and no, it would have been like the 34 because swing pass to Homer coming out of the backfield, he's got the first down, and then he gets obliterated, fumbles the ball, which then gets returned to the five. The 49ers score. They go up 14-3. to three. They get the ball to start the second half. They score on the second play of that drive. 60-yard touchdown pass or whatever the hell it was to George Kittle. It's 21-3, and that game is fairly, it is pretty much, it's over at that point. And while it's not completely done, sure, Seattle sort of positions itself to maybe have a chance in the fourth quarter. Look, here's the reality. Previous six games, the 49ers defense had allowed 14 points in the second half of those six games combined. At no point going forward, did San Francisco have to do anything on offense? And really, the overall part of the game, like I know Brock Brock Purdy looked pretty good. And if I'm a 49ers fan coming out of that game, I'm like, he might be better than Jimmy G. I don't know if he will be, and people are too too tough on Jimmy G. And like I call him good looking Kirk Cousins, but he is. Like that's he's he's an average to slightly above average quarterback in the NFL. You can do a lot worse than him. He was their backup this year. And Brock Purdy might be better than that. He, he might be worse too. But he, he might be better. But you don't know after that game. Yeah, he completed his first 10 passes. And I know everybody's talking about the composure and anything. There was no point in that game where the 49ers looked at him and said, we need you to make a play. There was no point. They, he had some opportunities at plays. Yes, he has the two pump fakes on the first touchdown that he throws to Kittle. He made a couple of really good reads, but at no point was it ever like, okay, things are getting away from me. And at one point in the second quarter when Seattle did bring pressure, he wasn't accurate. So coming out of that game, my reaction was Seattle could not get that game to a situation where Purdy was asked to deliver. They couldn't make it matter that Brock Purdy was their starting quarterback, largely because of the strength of San Francisco's defense. Seattle's defense, I didn't think played badly. It certainly did not play as poorly as it did in the games against the Raiders and the Panthers. But the shortcomings of this defense are evident. And, I mean, to be fair, they've reached a breaking point. 
you lose Al Woods in the second quarter of Sunday's game against Carolina, and then Brian Monet goes out with an ankle injury in this game. Those are two of your biggest defenders, and it's at the spot. Defensive line, I think, has been the biggest issue for this team all year. You're now down two of your top three defensive tackles from when the season started. The two outside linebackers that you were relying upon, young guys, Boye Mafe and Daryl Taylor, neither of them has played as much as you would have hoped. Uchenna Nwosu has been a great offseason addition, but there are some issues along that defensive line, and they've now reached the breaking point because of those injuries. The good news for Seattle is that you have a great deal of ammunition to address some of these deficits. Like you're going to have a top five pick. You're going to have three of the first 37, three of the first 40 Hell, maybe three of the first 35 picks in this draft. You're going to have four choices in the top two rounds. And you're going to need it to add some impact players along that defensive line. We haven't even gotten to the part about the quarterback, which I I think you retain Geno Smith, but I think you've got to be looking for the next guy. I, 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 I really do. But this game, this game was a really clear portrait of where Seattle is. Seattle's not in a bad position, but they're not a good team yet. Seattle's a mediocre team with a lot of room and a lot of resources to improve. And that's a really good position right now, but they're not they're not right there. They're not ready to contend. They're not on San Francisco's level. Like that's like San Francisco is a different class of fighter. They are at a heavier weight class. And watching the game last night, that was Seattle was the team that was moving up in class and could not hit San Francisco hard enough to make it matter. And I found myself thinking back to 2011. And that's a season that has been sort of a reference point for me since the year began. That was the last time Seattle entered a season in which it didn't know if it had its long-term quarterback or not. 2011, they're coming out of the lockout. Matt Hasselbeck, they do not re-sign him. They choose to go with Tavares Jackson. They've got Charlie Whitehurst. And they go into that of, okay, we're going to see if one of these guys can be our next long-term quarterback. They turn the page on Matt Hasselbeck. This season... Seattle had decided to move on from Russell Wilson. Not entirely their choice. If it was completely up to them, if Russell was pleased being a Seahawk, I don't know if they would have done that. I kind of think that he probably forced the issue. I also think that Seattle wasn't interested in talking about a contract extension. And Seattle was willing to move on from him. That's the best way to say it even though they didn't know who was going to be next. They're going to give Geno Smith a shot. They're going to give Drew Locke a shot. And they're going to, they're going to be looking, and they were going to be looking for, for other guys. They were open to that. We're going to figure out who our next quarterback is. And I don't think that's fully decided yet. I think that they've seen enough from Geno Smith that they want him to stay on the team. I, I don't have any doubts about that. I think they're interested, like, yeah, I think there's that question of is he is 
is there more than this? Is he an average, slightly above average NFL starting quarterback? If he is, that's 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 a great asset. And I would say like that's a reasonable that's a reasonable proposition, like a reasonable sort of summary to make right now. That like, yeah, it looks like it looks like he's an average and maybe slightly above average starting quarterback in the NFL. That's that's valuable. That's kind of the category that I put Jimmy G and Kirk Cousins in. When you have that, you've got to be open to the idea that you can find somebody better. And you honestly should be looking to find somebody better. But Seattle's still kind of in that. It's turned out better at quarterback than it did in 2011. Like they've got a better. They have found a better starting quarterback this year than they did in 2011 when they tried Tavares Jackson. Went to Whitehurst at one point and he was clearly not up for that. It's better. It's been better. It's the other side of the ball. It's it's the defense. In 2011, by the end of that season, you knew Seattle had a defense in place. Like you knew they they had a style of play. There was a physicality. That that was a defense. It was a team that needed a quarterback. Like coming out of that season, that's what you felt. Seattle's a team that needs a quarterback. Right now, that's very different. Seattle's a team that might have a good quarterback, might might have an okay quarterback, and Seattle needs a defense. And it was a game against the exact same team that we saw them just play. Like, home games against the 49ers in December that spell this out most clearly. 2011, December 24th, Christmas Eve, Seattle hosts San Francisco. It's Jim Harbaugh's first year. They've got the division wrapped up. They're 11 and 3 at that point. 49ers are 11 and 3 and they come into Seattle. Seattle had won 3 in a row. They had played much better the second half. They'd started to run the ball more effectively. Like they were playing better football. Seattle 7 and 7. Kind of a game where Seattle, is it a measuring stick? I don't know. But you're playing a really good team. You're playing the best team in your division. And how did that game go? It was an absolute slugfest. It was two teams that just took turns punching each other in the stomach. It was a physical game. Seattle's up in the fourth quarter. The 49ers drive down. They kick a field goal. They're up 19-17. It's like less than five minutes to go. Seattle gets the ball back. Seattle's driving. They're just about to midfield. It's like third and three. I think they're just on the other side of midfield. It's a minute to go. They just need a field goal. Tavares Jackson fumbles. San Francisco wins the game. It's 1917. Greg Roman, who was the offensive coordinator for the San Francisco 49ers, you hear their coaches kind of come through the back after the fumble recovery. The game's over. Merry Christmas! It was a tough pill. Seattle wins that game. Do they make the playoffs? I don't know. They lost at Arizona in overtime the next week. But coming out of that game, you felt like, all right, like Seattle... Like, Seattle is on the level with San Francisco. Like, that's, like, Seattle can say, like, all right, we're coming. 
We're ready. We're, we, we, can, we can take that step up and wait. Going into that game, San Francisco had gone more than two years without allowing a single opponent to rush for more than 100 yards. Hadn't give up, given up triple digits to any player. It's 37 straight games. Marshawn Lynch runs for 107 in that game. Like it was, all right, physical team that wants to run the ball. Seattle came in just as physical and capable of running the ball. You go into that offseason. All right, who's the quarterback? All right, who's the quarterback? They missed the playoffs. I think they they ended up with the 12th overall pick. They traded back a couple spots. They get Bruce Irvin. Second round, they get Bobby Wagner. They draft Russell Wilson. They sign Matt Flynn. And that next year starts with sort of the question, all right, do they have the quarterback? You knew they had the defense. Or believed they had the defense. And there were some growing pains with the defense the next year, but that was that was that was a defense. Like the, the defense was in place. This defense is not in place. The game that Seattle played against San Francisco on Thursday night is not comparable in any way, shape, or form to the game they played against San Francisco at home in 2011. San Francisco is a better team. And kind of, kind of a different, a different caliber. And I don't want to make it seem like, oh, that's a reflection of where these two franchises are. San Francisco, in the wake of Jim Harbaugh, had years of drafting in the top ten. You look at the dudes that are on that defensive line: Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead. Like you look at the way that they built that. They had DeForest Buckner for a while. He's not there anymore, but they traded him to Indianapolis. Yeah, that's a that's a defense that bears the prince. Like they've had the benefit of having time to rebuild. And I think Kyle Shanahan's a really good coach. I think Trent Williams is a freaking dominant player who has sustained a really good le- high level of play way past when I thought it was. He comes comes in the same year as Russell Okung. Like that was those were the two left tackles that draft. Seattle holding the sixth overall pick is we want one of those guys. Whichever one's there, we're taking him. Trent Williams goes four overall to the Washington Epithets. They get Okung at six. Trent Williams is still playing at an incredible level. Great player. He's he's probably the best left tackle post-Walter Jones. Right? Walter retires after. He did not play in the 2009 season. Trent Williams comes into the league in 2010. That's, That's probably... That's probably the dude. San Francisco's a really good team. And right now, I don't know if they have the quarterback to win it. Like, that's, they're going to be leaning an awful lot. At some point, they're going to need their quarterback to make plays. And I don't, I don't know if Purdy's capable of doing that. He looked pretty good last night. I'm not certain that they're in a worse position than they would have been with, with Jimmy G. And I think long term, there's some real reason to be optimistic about Purdy. But we'll see. But that's a that's a team. Seattle can't make it matter that they were starting a third string quarterback. They they couldn't make it matter. And yeah, if those plays, if the turnovers go differently, if the end of the second quarter plays out differently, maybe that changes. Maybe maybe they are able to force San Francisco into a situation where it's got to ask its quarterback to make some plays, and he's not ready for that. But that's hoping for sort of a confluence of good luck or things to break your way that wasn't a could have gone either way game 
and maybe Seattle still makes the playoffs. I figure if they win two of their final three, they're going to make the playoffs, I think. We'll see how the tiebreakers shake out. Detroit's making a push. They've got Seattle does a head-to-head advantage in a tiebreaker against the Lions because of a head-to-head victory. They do with the Giants too, though that doesn't matter as much because the Giants have a tie. So unless they tie with the Washington Commies this week, the the head-to-head advantage with the Giants doesn't figure to come into play. I think they'll get into the playoffs with two of the next three. And Seattle has been much better than anybody had a right to anticipate or expected entering the year. Like you're, People thought this was one of the worst teams in football. People thought that Seattle had given up a franchise quarterback, the golden ticket, and left themselves with a completely barren cupboard. And that they were a full-on rebuild. And I remember my reaction kind of five weeks into the season was, if it's not better than this, you're really going to wonder whether they should have traded Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf this past offseason. Because if this is what that team's going to be, you screwed up because you're not going to get good enough in time for it to matter that you've got those guys still under contract. That's not where this team is. They are clearly, they're the number two team in their division in a year where the other three teams, and certainly two of them, were geared up in win-now mode. Arizona extended its quarterback, its coach, and its general manager in the offseason. They won four games. And now Kyler Murray, unfortunately, has suffered a knee injury. Probably going to affect his availability for next year when it starts. I'd be very surprised if Cliff Kingsbury is back. And Steve Keim, the general manager, has taken a leave of absence to deal with a health issue. That was a team that was set up to win now. The Rams... They're in the Super Bowl hangover. Everything that they did, like they, they won the Super Bowl last season. But that is a team that mortgaged its future to increase its chances of doing that. And congrats, it paid off. It almost didn't. The Rams almost lost to the Bucks in the divisional round. They didn't. It paid off. But this year, it's bottomed out. And... I would say with both Arizona and Los Angeles, it's going to get worse before it gets better for them. Seattle is a better team right now than those two teams. And Seattle was not in a doing everything we can to win right now mode. Seattle was in a, we just traded our franchise quarterback and everybody thinks we stink mode. And who knows how good the two draft picks next year we're going to get back. And it looks like Right now, one of those picks is going to be a top five selection. All in all, Seattle's in a really positive place. In a in a better place than most people could have hoped for, both in terms of what their record is and the pick they're going to get from the Broncos. And some people thought that Russell's going to be the MVP. And Seattle's going to be getting a first-round pick that's in the 20s and a second-round pick that's in the 50s. And, and that's not how it's working out. But... Seattle is not a good team right now. Seattle is a very meh team. In a year where meh might be good enough to get you into the playoffs in the NFC. 
And Thursday night's game was a reflection of the reality of where they are. This is not a team that's a player away. This is a team that's a defense away. And then there's the possibility of a question at quarterback. And that's okay. Like They've got some good resources, but I think we've got a very good look at what this team is and what it isn't. This team is not one that is capable of matching up physically, of having a defense to physically match up with a contender. There are teams, Dallas, San Francisco, and Philadelphia, that in my mind are clear notches above what Seattle is going to do. And if Seattle was going to beat them, it's the puncher's chance sort of thing. Like, yeah, maybe if three or four plays go right for them, and if they don't, it's going to look exactly like what happened last night. It's a reality check. I am Danny O'Neill. If you would like my daily updates to come into your email, please sign up for my Substack, the dang apostrophe. It's available at substack.com. If you are enjoying the podcast, leave me a review. It helps other people find it. It also makes me feel better. And because I write about my feelings a lot, it's very helpful. Talk to you next week.